Hello, and welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as the North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. Kevin Folger, and this is Labors in the Harvest podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for this new episode of our podcast. And this is a brand new year. Can't hard to believe it's January 2023. And uh, it's amazing how fast time goes. But we're excited about another year of opportunity. If it's the Lord, uh, Terry's is coming, perhaps to uh, come to you each month with a new podcast of someone who is laboring for the Lord in his harvest. And uh, it's a great joy today to uh, welcome a friend that I made along life's way. I've known of him for a while, and we knew of each other because of the work we were doing, but we didn't have the opportunity to meet until we were in a in a missions conference together in Martinsburg, West Virginia, at the Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church. And I got to meet Brother Johnny Esposito and his wife, Denise. And uh, it's joy to welcome him to the podcast. Brother Johnny, thank you for joining me today. It is my pleasure to be with you today. Well, it's my honor for sure. So I, uh, I, I want our folks to know you are currently serving uh, as a, a missionary and uh, just want to kind of describe kind of what you're doing and what, how, what the, the kind of the, the focus of the ministry is. Yes, sir. My wife and I have been serving now in Southeast Asia. Well, actually Asia for the last 10 years. We've served and lived in the country of Laos. Uh, some Americans know it as Laos, but the S is actually silent. Uh, two years in Cambodia, a year in China. We're presently living and serving in Chiang Kong, Thailand, where we'll be returning to in a little bit over two weeks. Well, in that two weeks it will already be passed by the time this airs. So <laughs> we're, we're actually yes. recording this in November and it won't air until January. So you'll be on the field and uh, Lord willing anyway, and doing what God's called you to do. So uh, for 10 years, you you folks have labored, but you're part of a team, right? And uh, that team kind of developed out of the church that you are part of. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm originally out of Pacific Baptist Church. My brother was the senior pastor for uh, just short of 30 years before he got ill. He started the church. At one time, it was called Cambodian Baptist Church for the first 15 years of its existence. Uh, it was basically a mission reaching uh, Cambodian refugees. We eventually changed the name to Pacific Baptist Church. We actually moved locations. And so we have three teams of missionaries, 22 missionaries that are actually sent out of our church in the countries of Cambodia, Laos, and Thailand. And I've lived and served alongside all three of those teams presently in Thailand. So when we think about the church there in California, at one time called Cambodian Baptist Church. How did your how did that happen? Is that your brother and, and yourself got this burden to reach a specific people group within the United States? Great question. Uh, my brother and I were in Bible college together. We both worked in the bus ministry. We were in different bus divisions 
in different locations. At that time, I was uh, a newlywed and my brother was actually living with us. And uh, he noticed on his bus route, uh, these Asians, you know, at that time, we didn't know what Cambodians were. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, he thought they were Chinese, you know. Mm. And so he starts seeing these Asians not too far from his bus route in his division and started visiting some of them and I became burdened for them. And, and I will never forget him asking me, would you think I ought to start a bus route there? And I said, yeah, I would. And so he started a bus route reaching the Cambodian people. Most of them were Cambodian. There were some Vietnamese. I think there were a few Lao, if I remember correctly. It actually became the largest bus route at First Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. he, he started the Oriental ministry, which is still going on today. And he became extremely burdened for the Cambodian people. He uh, wanted to go to Cambodia as a missionary. I, I can remember him in our house. Uh, he was trying to learn the language uh, via old cassette tapes and that type of thing. But at that time, Cambodia was a communist country. And at that time, we didn't realize there were ways to get into communist country. So to make a long story short, he found out that more Cambodians lived in our hometown than anywhere in the world outside of Cambodia and Thailand, Long mm -hmm. Beach, California. And so we eventually went and started a church, Cambodian Baptist Church, and the rest is history. Wow. So when he was reaching these folks, um, when he was in college on this bus route, um, how did he communicate with them? Or what, did some of them speak English or? Yeah, yes, sir. The young one, the young, the children and the teenagers spoke English. Now it would have been broken English because they were going to uh, American schools, going to schools there in Chicago. And um, again, he learned a little bit of Cambodian, a bit of the Khmer language is what it's called. And the little by little, as he reached some people, he used them as interpreters uh, as far as helping reach the older people. And he actually had quite a few adults that were coming also. Okay. So once you guys graduated, and then, you, as you said, you moved to Cal back to California. That's where you're from originally. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. And yes, sir. so my brother originally started the church. Mm -hmm. and my, he started the church. I joined him after he started church. I actually pastored for a while. Uh, and I joined him afterwards. There, he got the church growing very rapidly, but it was all young people. And mm -hmm. he had a great need for some leadership and, mm -hmm. and some structure, infrastructure. And uh, so the church just grew rapidly, but it was it was all young people. It, it mm -hmm. was, uh, we called it a glorified youth ministry in those days. <laughs> so so can I say that it probably wasn't a lot of money in it? <laughs> no, there, you can say that for sure. As a matter of fact, if you would have seen our facilities, uh, the first 10 years of the the church's uh, life, uh, it was a joke. And uh, <laughs> because there was no money, you know, we yeah. had a lot of energy. Yeah. Young people had energy, but there was no money. Yeah. Well, and you're in California, too, and everything's so expensive. So, yes, sir. <laughs> so all right. So the, the church gets started. Then um, then you guys uh, relocated, I guess. Is that what happened? You moved the, the, the ministry? Yes, sir. Uh, we made we had a couple moves. We moved from downtown in the really bad area, a lot of gang activity. And by the way, my brother and our ministry there, uh, we worked a lot with gang members, and and uh, we eventually had some boys' homes and girls' homes, and uh, 
the Khmer people, the Cambodian people all over America were actually sending young people who were troubled to our church, to the homes. Mm. But we eventually moved. We moved a couple of times. And when, when we moved to Pacific Avenue, um, we had a Christian school. All of our students were Cambodian, but they all spoke English. Mm-hmm. And so uh, folks would be walking by and they would hear our teenagers speaking in English and they'd say, oh, do you do you have English services at this church? And they said, oh, yes. We, as a matter of fact, our big service is an English service. So people thought because it said Cambodian Baptist Church, it was only for right. Cambodian people. Right, so sure. that's why we changed the name Okay, because it was a barrier. It, and so yeah, we changed sure. the name to Pacific Baptist Church. And little by little, it became a very ethnically diverse church. And then we eventually moved to our uh, new location. And we, uh, over a long period of time, built a, a new building. And, and so the church is doing extremely well, but very ethnically diverse today. And the church is currently in Long Beach. Is that correct? Still Long Beach. Yes, sir. Yes, Different sir. location, but Long right. Beach. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the journey of ministry, because obviously uh, you now are a mature man. Notice I didn't say old. I said a mature man like myself. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> but we've uh, we've been in ministry for a while. But people look at us and say, well, you know, how do you ever get to a place like that? And, and as I tell people all the time, and as I've said to our listeners that have been a part of this podcast, that life is a journey. And uh, every day is some steps in that journey. And so let's talk a little bit about the steps that God has brought you on and uh, talk about, you know, let's go back to your early days. You, you and your brother um, came from a family um, that was originally from California or how, how did that work? No, sir. My, my, our family was actually originally from Chicago. My mm-hmm. uh, father uh, grew up in the south side of Chicago. My mother grew up on, in Oak Park, which is a suburb of Chicago. We lived in Chicago until I was about um, maybe 10 or 11 years old. My The truth of the matter is my father was running from the police, so he relocated to California. Of course, we were not a Christian family. And so with that we moved to California when I was about 11 years old, somewhere between 10 and 11 years old. Okay. All right. So as you got out to California, um, I don't think your family was were Christians, were they as far as knowing Christ as the Lord and Savior? No, sir, not at all, mm-hmm. not at all. They they came from a Catholic background, but they weren't even faithful Catholics. So yeah. yeah. Well, t- talk to me a little bit about your growing up years and uh, what, what was like. What was that like in California? Once we moved to California, my, my mother and father had a troubled marriage as long as I can remember. It got extremely bad once we got in California. Uh, my mother and father got divorced probably about a year, maybe two years after we moved to California. Then once my father moved out of the home, by that time, I was uh, 12, 13 years old. And uh, you know what the statistics are, fatherless homes. And eventually I got involved with gangs there in Southern California. I was in and out of jail, that type of thing. And so eventually I uh, joined the military, basically, to stay out of prison. Mm. Joined the military, stay out of prison, and I got saved in the military. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess that military, um, it's in some respects, I mean, it, it's pretty confining and, <laughs> and pretty restricted. It's Some people may say it's like prison, but I don't think it's quite as bad. <laughs> not, 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 not quite as bad, yeah. no, sir. So, but it helped, it helped me immensely, no, okay. no doubt about that. Okay. So in, as, you're, uh, as you get into the military, uh, what branch of military service were you in? 
I served in the United States Army, served in the Army for three years. I was a second Ranger Battalion Airborne Paratrooper. I uh, got saved January 17, 1977, about halfway through my three years okay. uh, is when I and I trusted Christ and started my journey with Christ. Mm-hmm. You, you and I are very similar in age. I still remember <clears throat> being in high school. And of course, the Vietnam War was going on. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to graduate from high school. I'm going to, have to uh, you know, register for the draft. And who knows if right. I'll, you know, end up in Vietnam or not. I was certainly willing to serve my country. Um, but just as I'm getting ready to graduate from high school in 1975, that war is winding down and has come to a conclusion. So uh, you weren't involved in Vietnam at all, were you? No, sir. We just basically just missed Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined in 74. And again, it was starting to wind down. They weren't really ascending troops anymore. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And they were starting to pull them out. Uh, I was ready to go to Vietnam. The truth of the matter is I wanted to go to Vietnam at that time. And, uh, but I, I, I did not go. So did you, did you deploy at all overseas during your, your time? Uh, we, one time we deployed to Panama. It was called the canal crisis. And mm-hmm. uh, just to make a long story short, uh, supposedly there were Cuban guerrillas there in Panama. And uh, we went as a show of force, our battalion, uh, went there as a show of force, but there was no no combat. Okay, all right. So you say you got saved during your military service. So let's talk about that. How how that happened? What God used in your life to bring you to Himself? Yeah, it's a, it's a long story, but I'll try to give you the condensed version. I hurt myself on a on what's called a combat jump, a nighttime combat jump. It's a it's a low jump and and hurt myself, so I wasn't really able to jump anymore. And so I was transferred from the Ranger Battalion to 9th Infantry Division, the same base, Fort Lewis, Washington. And that was a whole new world. Uh, in the Ranger Battalion, if there was drugs, I didn't know about it. Now, there's a lot of alcohol, but if there was drugs, I didn't know about it. But there was definitely a lot of drugs there in the 9th Infantry Division. And morale in the military at that time was extremely bad. Those were the the Carter years, the Jimmy Carter years. So morale was extremely bad. And, and as I look back at it, uh, but the so I, I got back involved with drugs. And as I got back involved with drugs, uh, one day on, on um, a drug, I was high. Uh, to make a long story short, I had an aunt who had given me a Gideon Bible with the plan of salvation on the back. And she had given me all kinds of tracks. I put them in my foot locker, my wall locker. I never would throw them away because I loved her and I respected her. But that day I took that Bible and I had people share the gospel with me quite a few times. So I was familiar with it and I was ended up in a phone booth and I just went through that plan of salvation, what we would call the Romans Road today. And I, I trusted Christ there in a phone booth, Fort Lewis, Washington. Well, it just goes to show you that uh, sometimes we can get discouraged when we witness to people and give tracts to people and you know, go out of our way to try to befriend people. And it seems like there's no progress, but we just never know how God's putting all that together in their life as obviously your aunt was very concerned about you and, and your salvation. And uh, yes, no sir. doubt prayed for you for a long time before you came to know the Lord. Yes, sir. You know, I know that she prayed for me for years, even before I joined the military, she knew my situation. Uh, she was a godly a Christian woman, lived in Ohio, by the way, Columbus, Ohio, just outside of Columbus, Ohio, on a farm. 
and they're constantly sending me tracks and constantly little letters. And uh, so um, she was she was a blessing and a help. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's wonderful. Uh, such a such an encouragement to know that you have people that love you like that and care about you and pray for you and and you know get you into the family through their uh, no nobody gets saved apart from Christ but God uses people there's no question so yes, grateful yes, for them so what happened after your salvation how how did you get to a point of starting to grow and develop yeah uh, well right after I got saved trusted Christ I didn't know anything but the Catholic Church so I started going to the Catholic chapel on the base. And, uh, you know, I just, the Holy Spirit made it very, very clear. I was just not in the right place. Mm. I didn't, I, I, I couldn't explain it at the time as, as I went to confession because I, I knew that's what we were supposed to do as a Catholic. And I just, I started reading some Christian materials and I talked to the priest and the priest became a really dogmatic that I was demon possessed because I, I, I wasn't following uh, the Catholic way. So I eventually left there, but I didn't know where to go. Yeah. So I, I wasn't going to church, but one day I was sitting in what we call the day room. You know, they have uh, pool tables and televisions and the soldiers are just hanging out. And I was just sitting there. I think I was watching television and a guy came over to me and started sharing the gospel with me. He was a part of a military ministry. Mm. His name was Randy Higgins and uh, him and another man named Bill started sharing the gospel. They got about halfway through the plan of salvation. And I looked at him. I said, look, I've already done that. I'm a, I, I'm a Christian. I, I, be, I don't remember the exact terminology I used. I said, I'm a Christian. I've done that. And so they must have seen something in my countenance that said, you may have done it, but you need some help. <laughs> and, and, and so they had another track that they used for those who were Christians. And it was called, have you experienced the spirit-filled life? Mm-hmm. And it was basically... Uh, are you are you allowing Christ to control your life or you control your life? And so they went through this track and they asked me, you know, which one are you? They showed me little diagrams. I said, yeah, the one that the life is a mess. That's me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so thankful for that day because uh, Randy and his wife, Terry, took me under their wing for about three to four months. I met with them on a weekly basis. They would invite me and other soldiers to their house. I give us meals, play Bible trivia and that type of thing. And so he discipled me for about three to four years. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. Well, you know, those Barnabases that God puts puts in our life that just come alongside of us. And uh, I think that's just a, a good lesson for those folks who may be listening that it's not enough just to win people to Christ. We've got to spend the time discipling them and mentoring them and helping them to develop into what God wants them to be. Yes, sir. Uh, sometimes that's not possible, but when it is possible, we, we should put that effort forth. Right. So, yeah. So um, the, from what you're saying, did they not take you to a particular church or any type of thing while, while you're with them? Yeah, um, they were not real strong on the local church. It was okay. a parachurch organization. Okay. They encouraged us to go to the chapel on base, okay. to the Protestant chapel. And I, I did start going a little bit th- for a while. And um, I don't know if I went every Sunday, mm-hmm. but most of my training in those early days formation was actually with them in yeah. different fellowships and Bible studies they had. Sure. Okay. Well, so let's talk about um, becoming a Baptist. How did that happen? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting story. So 
you got um, a lot of interesting stories. Yeah, my life is just one interesting story. <laughs> so uh, I, I took a two-week leave, a vacation, if you would, uh, went down and shared the gospel with my brother, Joe. My brother, Joe, as later years later, he said he might have made, he made a profession of faith. Somebody led him to Christ on a street corner when he was 14, but there was no fruit. He never went to church. So he doesn't know if he got saved then. But uh, a few years later, I, I led him to Christ or he got reassurance of his salvation, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we looked for churches and we went to a couple of churches. We actually walked in on a Sunday morning where a church was splitting while we were walking in. <laughs> That was interesting. So uh, nothing was settled. And I went back to the army. So I told my brother, I, I wrote him a letter. Of course, we didn't have technology we have today. I wrote him a letter. I said, you know, Joe, find a Baptist church. Because I, I met a couple of Baptists. I said, find a Baptist church. They're very strong on the Bible. Now, at that time, I wouldn't go to a Baptist church. Because I met some Baptists. And they said, you couldn't do this. You couldn't do this. I said, that's, I am not going that route. <laughs> so, but I'd let my brother go that route. So I told my brother, I said, Joe, find a Baptist church. Well, sure enough, they ended up moving behind Gethsemane Baptist church, which is now in Long Beach, California. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was in Paramount, California. And it was right behind them. And he started going. So when I ETS, when I discharged out of the military, I started going on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. I would not go Sunday morning. I'd go to another uh, evangelical church that was about 45 minutes away, but it was too long to go Sunday nights or Wednesday night. So I would go on Sunday night and Wednesday night. And I fell in love with a young pastor who took over. His name was Jim Black. And Jim Black took over the church. He had a lot of zeal. He was about 27 years old. And he used to tell a lot of bus ministry stories. And, you know, I came from that gang background, the inner city. So there was appeal there. So that's how I got involved with the Independent Baptist. And I was going to go to, to um, a Moody Bible Institute, my brother and I both. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Pastor Black and he said, well, why do you want to go to Moody Bible Institute? I said, well, I read about D.O. Moody. He was a great man. And I read his biography and so on. He said, well, I, I would encourage you to go to this school. This is the D.O. Moody of our generation. And so that's how I ended up at an independent Baptist Bible college that I absolutely swore I would never go to just about a year before that. Well, I'm sure glad you're an independent Baptist. <laughs> well, t- talk to me about the call to ministry because you're you're out of military, you're now attending this Baptist church and God's using it in your life. So what did he use or how did that call uh, specifically happen for you? Yeah, you know, the first day I got saved in that telephone booth, I just sensed that God had something special for my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't I, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't explain it, of course, at the time. And the, when my brother and I, we went to Bible college together. When we enrolled in Bible college, when we decided to go to Bible college, we didn't really go to with plans to be in the ministry. We just wanted mm-hmm. to get grounded in the ah, word of God. Okay. Yeah. And we we just knew that we needed some more Bible knowledge because we didn't come from Christian homes, so on. So both my brother and I, while we were in Bible college, we got very actively involved with ministry, with soul winning, bus ministry, teaching Sunday school, and I, as involved as you possibly could be involved. But for the first couple of years, neither one of us necessarily felt we were called to the ministry. 
mm. uh, to pastor a church or to be a missionary. But little by little, both of us today would say to you, you know, I don't know if I was called to the ministry. It, it, there was just a process and we just sort of volunteered. We said, right. you know, there's a need. Yeah. God's been so good to us. Why not give our life to this thing? So, so while I was in Bible college, made the decision that I was going to serve the Lord full time. Mm, okay. Well, that's a good place to surrender. That's for sure. And just, uh, you know, get, get it. Uh, you know, you're in a place where you're obviously being saturated with the word and, and uh, opportunities to serve. And I think really, when we think about God's call, and when we talk specifically about God calling people, I think you'd agree with me that God normally calls people who are not just sitting in a pew, but who are, have their sleeves rolled up and are busy already in ministry. That exactly. certainly seems to be a biblical precedent that we see even in the book of Acts that, you know, is there in chapter 13, that um, Paul and Barnabas were part of that a ministry that were busy serving and God yes. said, I want these two men to be separated for this particular call, call and, and purpose. So I, I truly believe that people say, well, you know, how do I get called? Well, get busy, <laughs> get busy, exactly. start serving the Lord. You know, there's a good opportunity there. Once God calls the people that are already serving. So very, very seldom do you find somebody who was called who was just sitting in a pew. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very, se- very seldom. Unless they're in a phone booth someplace. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, uh, so while you're in college, is that where you met your, your, your dear wife? Yes, sir. I met my wife. Actually, my wife at that time was the best friend of my bus worker, one of my lady bus workers. Okay. Uh, she worked in the, uh, the clinic and uh, interesting story there. I'm not going to go into it. But one day I went to the clinic to see the doctor and I saw her. I had seen her walk uh, across the hallway. The clinic was on both sides of the hallway. I'd seen her many times walking across the hallway, very quiet, very shy. And I was interested in meeting her, but had, had no clue who she was. So when I was going to see the doctor, my bus worker, the lady bus worker was a nurse hmm. in there and she was checking my vitals and everything. And I asked her, I said, Lois, who is the blonde headed girl? And she said, well, are you interested? I said, well, sort of. She said, well, I'm going to go tell Henry. Well, I thought she meant Henry was the... Her, her boyfriend or something. I said, no, 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 no. Well, Henry was her last name. Oh, okay. So her name was Denise Henry. So that's how I met her. Uh, Lois had told her that I was interested. We, we set up a time and we started dating and we dated for about four months before she ever actually started talking to me. <laughs> that's she, is okay. a very quiet, she is a very yeah, quiet lady. There's no question. Very quiet. And I love listening to myself talk. So we got along real well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you guys finished college and then did you, did you immediately go back to California or what was the story with that? No, sir. I was actually on staff there for two years in Hammond. I was okay. the principal of their bus kid school. Oh, really? City Baptist okay. for two years and continued uh-huh. to be a division leader and assisted Ray Young in the bus ministry. Uh-huh. So I was staffed there for two years. We went to Florida to help start a church just for a short season. And then we ended up going to California. And that was, you know, had your brother already started the church when you, when you guys went to California? Yeah. Well, my brother started the church probably um, right about a year after we went to California. Oh, af- afterwards. Okay. All yeah. Right. After we went to California. So uh, my brother was actually in Florida also. Oh, so okay. my brother, what my brother did he, through BIMI, he started raising support as a home missionary. Mm. Uh, I, I think he was on deputation for about a year. 
okay. before he started the church, okay. if I remember correctly. All right. Well, so you guys are, are laboring together. And, um, you know, um, I think, did you tell me 30 years that you guys labored there together, or close to it? Yeah. Well, uh, my wife and I were in the ministry for 30 years before going to Mission Field. Okay. We've right. now been in ministry 40 years. Uh, 18 years, 18 years of that was on staff there in Long okay. Beach. And then, of course, the last 10 years would have been sent out of Long Beach as a missionary. Right. Okay, well, let's talk about the, the call to the missions or how did that happen as well? You ending up, uh, you know, 10 years ago saying, well, we're leaving America, selling everything we got and heading overseas. So, Yeah, at that time, I was the vice president of our Bible college. We had a small Bible college, about 55, 57 students was the max of, uh, while I was vice president. And, uh, you know... Over the last couple of years before I eventually surrendered to go to the field, as missionaries would come in and we'd have missions conferences. And, you know, in those days, they would show the slides and, <laughs> and uh, share their burden. Uh, I became extremely burdened, especially for the part of the world we call the 1040 window. Mm -hmm. And I started doing research and I started reading books and I, I would check online. And then I became very, very burdened about that part of the world. And uh, it seemed like every time we had a missionary come in or every time we had a missions conference, my heart would just be moved and sometimes moved to tears. And about three years before I actually surrendered, uh, we had a missions conference and the, my brother, senior pastor of the church, he said, hey, at the end of the conference, he, he said, I think it was Sunday night. He said, hey, let's let's get some testimonies. Uh, how has God moved in your heart? So I stood up. I was my brother's right-hand man without saying anything to him in advance. I stood up. I said, man, I don't know about anybody else. But I think God might be calling me to mission field. <laughs> well, my brother almost had a stroke, right? <laughs> the next day, I, I I get a voicemail from him, said, Doc, what do you, oh, he used to call me coach. Coach, what are you doing? Uh, you you should have talked to me. So to make a long story short, he actually talked me out of it at that time. Mm -hmm. And the, but for the next three years, man, I just really struggled, especially when we had missions conferences or we had a missionary come in for uh, one service, that type of thing. And then uh, 2012, I think it was end of 2011, beginning of 2012, um, I, would, I used to travel a lot. Sometimes I traveled with our tour groups. Sometimes I just traveled because I wrote a few books and I would travel, I preach at different churches. And so when I was away from the office, I had a lot of time to think. And God was just really dealing with me. And one day in a hotel room, uh, God just, yeah, of course, I didn't hear an audible voice, but God really spoke to my heart and said, because uh, I didn't feel called to any specific country, any specific people. And I I, I just said, God, I, I don't know what to do. And, and he just impressed me. Your first step is, you have to leave Pacific Baptist mm -hmm. and I'll lead you the rest of the way. Wow. And, and you can imagine, you know, you're on staff for 18 years. Uh, your family's there. Your, your children are on staff. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I, Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight, where Abraham went out, not knowing where he right. was going. God brought me to that verse, that passage that day in the hotel room. So make a long story short, I let my brother know. I said, you know, Pastor Joe, I have no idea where I'm going or what I'm doing. 
but I know I need to leave. Hmm. And I think I'm going to be going to the mission field. Hmm. And he tried to talk me out of it again. He said he didn't get any sleep that night. Hmm. And uh, so anyway, he, he asked me once he realized I was going, he asked me if I would consider working with our teams in Southeast Asia. Okay. All right. So when you, when you, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, culture and of course, you know, we live in America and even if you're working with a particular people group here, you know, they become Westernized in some respects. So, uh, and you're in three different, uh, or is it three or four different countries you guys are working in? Four different, co- yeah. four different countries. So different each one of those countries, I, I'm sure have, each one has a little bit different culture. They may have some things that are similar, but the, the cultures have to be somewhat different. So Talk to me about, you know, uh, leaving America because you're not you're not in your 20s at this point. You're you're in your uh, what, 50s or, you know, early 50s, 50s. I, I arrived in Southeast Asia at the age of 56, 56. OK, so <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about that, because some of you say, well, isn't that too too, you know, late in life to go? Well, certainly not. Right. I mean, you you went right. And, right. And, and you've been there for 10 years. So talk a little bit about some of the some of the issues that are play at, at you know as you're heading to a mission field and some of the things that you have to maybe give consideration to. Yes, sir. Uh, we as missionaries, we know there's there's two things we experience as missionaries. Number one, we experience culture shock, mm-hmm. and culture shock usually lasts three to six months. You see things, you hear things that just it's hard for you to wrap your mind around and they do things different. Not only do they talk different, look different, but they just think different than we do. And they do things uh, different than we do. That's culture shock. You usually get over those things within three to six months. Then there's culture stress. Culture stress is something you never get over. There's just some things you just say, I just have to give this to Lord, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, when we, you know, we first arrive in Southeast Asia, of course, the first country we go to is a communist country major culture shock. And not only do the people look different, not only do they speak a different language, not only do they think different, but the laws are very different and the laws are prohibitive to the things that we feel like God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we would have church services and you'd have to shut the doors. Everything's in houses, shut the door, lock the doors, excuse me, shut the blinds or shut the curtains. Uh, you, if you sing, you don't sing aloud. You don't carry your Bible in public. And, and of course, you're not going door knocking, passing out tracts. And so you, you but, but you realize, okay, God's placed me here in this culture and he's got a purpose for me here. So I, I, I have to learn to adapt and make the best of it. I have to learn to eat their food, which eventually I learned to love. I have to learn to be patient with them. My, my culture stress is, I'm very punctual. I'm very time conscious. You know, I, even today, you know, I'm logging on 15 minutes early. You know, that that's <laughs> me. Well, unfortunately, in Southeast Asia, that is not them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not time conscious. And, but you, ha- you just have to learn to deal with it because you are a guest right. in their country. And so we don't try to impose our culture on them. We have to learn to adapt to their culture as much as possible. So what are, what were some of the biggest challenges to that for both you and your wife? Uh, I, I think some of the biggest challenges were uh, as far as the culture, difference in culture, 
was sanitation, mm-hmm. cleanliness. Uh, you know, here in America, you walk into a restaurant and they have the grading system, A, B, C, D, and they've been graded. Well, none of the, they don't have the grading system in Southeast Asia. And if they did, most of the restaurants would have an F. <laughs> and so you you have to, you you get used to sitting down in a restaurant and while you're sitting down in the restaurant, dogs and cats are running in and oh, it's dirty, geez. the table's dirty and you're taking the silverware and you're, you're wiping it on your shirt to make sure it's clean, you know, spit on it to make sure it's clean. Yeah, it's only your germs. And so uh, things like that. And um, of course, I mentioned the time. Uh, <laughs> in the country of Laos, they come and take your stuff from your yard all the time because in there, it's like community property. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not stealing it. They're going to return it. So many times you go out and you look, what happened to the ladder? And you find out a neighbor took it without asking you, and he returns it a week later. Um, that's culture shock. I can remember one morning I was up in our where my wife and I lived was also our English school because no missionaries allowed in the country. So we had to have a, a reason for being there. So we started English school. So I was sitting upstairs in a classroom and I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying and all of a sudden I hear whack, whack, whack. And I'm thinking, what in the world is that? So I walk downstairs, I walk outside and there's this grandma in her 80s and she's cutting everything off of our banana tree that's in our yard and she's going to take it and so with a little bit of language i i said yeah hello to her and she said hello and she smiled and she just kept whacking away and she just took everything away like no big deal <laughs> so you just learned that you know one mo- one morning i'm upstairs and i i smell smoke i'm thinking what in the world is going on i go downstairs again i walk in the yard and there's what we would call barbecue pits. There's like these big fires. They're going to have a barbecue because somebody's getting married across the alley. And so they're using our yard uh, to cook the food <laughs> without asking permission. So, and uh, I, I remember that time, the next day after the party was over, he asked for permission. I said, yeah, no problem. <laughs> And so you get used to that. Uh, they walk into your house without knocking on the door and, and you just, you got to lock the door. Otherwise they walk in, you know? Oh, wow. So I, I think, as I recall, when we were together for the missions conference, your wife said um, that of all the places that you guys been, that she loves that Lao the, the best. Yes. yes what, what, what is it about that place? It just is so God is in, in, knit your heart to it. Yes, sir. It, it, it's an amazing thing. I think you'll remember I mentioned this while we were in uh, West Virginia. Uh, when when we were first going through the praying process, getting ready to uh, go to the field, my wife said, Johnny, any one of the countries, but not the communist country, please. Mm-hmm. And of course, we ended up there. But now if you ask her today, if there's anywhere in the world, including the United States, that you could choose to live, where would it be? And she would say communist law. And there's a lot of reasons for it. First of all, they're the friendliest people in the world. Mm. By far, the friendliest people I've ever met in the world. And we've lived in five different countries. I've traveled all over the world. 
they're just friendly. You could walk down the road and they invite you in to eat lunch with them and you've never met them before. Wow. It's an amazing thing. So they're extremely friendly people. They're very hospitable. And of course, we were very, very involved with ministry. Of course, our hearts became very knit with the people there. Uh, not By the way, not only the Christians, the people in the neighborhood, people that were lost, they were Buddhist, our next door neighbors, the restaurants, the stores there. Um, many of them, we had a chance to share the gospel with them, but they didn't get saved, but we, we love them. And, and it was, it really was like one big community. Hmm. Well, that's a, it's amazing. And you know how God, even in, in later part of our life kind of redirects our, our path. And we should be open to that. I don't know that we have any right to say to God, well, I'm just, you know, some things I'm just not going to do. Um, in in your travels and in, in the fact in the 10 years that you've been missionaries um you know you and i are recording this and yesterday we heard of the death of a young man who was, had given his life to reach a particular people group and uh, by the time we record this of course it would be old news but uh or this gets published it'd be old news but uh, you know I, there is a an element in some parts of the world where there's danger to take the gospel um, did you guys, have you guys ever been in a situation where you felt like there was a safety issue that was in, uh, be concerned about? A few times in, in Cambodia, we had a ministry, uh, that's reached quite a few Muslims mm -hmm. and uh, we've had some issues there. As, as a matter of fact, there was one time we had planted a church in a Muslim village and, and in the initial stages, they, they didn't give us any problem, but. Uh, quite a few Muslims start converting to Christ, and mm. that became an issue. And uh, the wife of the village chief became a Christian, eventually became a very faithful Christian, has now been a faithful Christian for over 10 years, all about 11 years now, I guess. Mm. And her sons are all in the ministry now. And so it became an issue, and they they threatened the lives of our people. I was not there at the time, and the police actually told our uh, missionaries as well as some of the nationals uh don't try to have a service today because we cannot protect you and they they're going to kill you mm. and so there's been a, a few issues like that in the country of Laos. not so much with me but i've known of people just recently about three weeks ago a man was killed uh, tortured in lao i did see uh, that here uh, i think even on social media today was something somebody put that up where he had been killed Right. That was just a few weeks ago. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think, um, you know, we, we sometimes are fearful um, because of danger. But the truth of the matter is, if we're going to evangelize the world, it's going to take some people who are bold, uh, people yes, who are committed to the cause. Right. And um, you want to speak to that one a little day, bit? Yeah. You know, one day we were uh, making some visits in Cambodia in the Muslim village. I was with a young man named Vanak, who's presently what we would call an assistant pastor of our ministry there uh ex-muslim and um and so we were out making some visits and and he looked at me and he asked me called me pastor in the Khmer language legru he said are you afraid to be in here and i said you know vanak to be honest with you not really now i said vanak i, I don't want to get beat up and i sure don't want to die but God is with us and God's got control over everything in life. We, we serve as God who's sovereign. And, and so I'm trusting God. And then I told him this, and uh, this speaks to your point. I said, Vanak, we're never going to reach the world 
And the hard places, the difficult places in the world, the dangerous places in the world, if we allow fear to dictate mm-hmm. our, our actions. Mm-hmm. And so I said, no, I said, sure, there's some fear, but God's with us. Sure. Yeah. So I've been uh, yesterday and today been working on a new message and, and, you know, based on the life of David, specifically facing Goliath. And, you know, he, he makes a statement, is there not a cause? Right. And when everyone else was looking at the physical, David was looking at the honor of God and yes, the sir. desire to, to that God would be made known. So, you know, I think it's really the, the deriving thing that's going to, if we're going to make a difference and impact specifically, you and I both have a, a heart for this 1040 window. Some of those difficult places in the world uh, held by some of the most fierce religion. And we, we all know that that's, that's the devil himself who's got a, 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 you know, holding these people in the shackles of their sin and their false religion. And he doesn't want to let it go easily. But the truth of the matter is God's more powerful than, than Satan and the gospel is yes. more powerful than any false religion. But if for that, for that difference to be made, it has to, it takes people who have to be willing to, to go and preach the gospel and share that message. So. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, uh, we definitely need that spirit of David today sure. where we're willing to look at the giants, the mm-hmm. obstacles that are before us and recognize God is much bigger than any obstacle Absolutely. that's set before yeah. us. Well, I want to thank you for being my guest and uh, taking some time out of your schedule. I know you're not home that much longer before you head back to the field, but it's an honor uh, Brother Esposito, have you with me and uh, on this podcast. And uh, if uh, folks want to know a little bit more about your ministry, do you have a website or anything that they can visit? Yeah. Yes, sir. Actually, the be- best way to contact me would be um, it's uh, our website is carrythelight.com. C-A-R-R-I. Okay. Light, L-I-G-H-T, carrythelight.com. They can contact me that way or they can contact me by way of email. My email address is all lowercase S E. Asia, like in Southeast Asia, S E A S I A at Gmail uh, for him. I'm sorry, S E Asia for the number four him at gmail.com. Very good. Okay. Well, we appreciate it and uh, certainly be praying for you. It's been a joy to uh, get get better acquainted with you. And I, I do appreciate you taking some time today to meet with me and for us to be able to do this recording. I pray that God will use it in the hearts and lives of many as they have the opportunity to listen to this podcast. Thanks, sir. It was a pleasure to spend some time with you. Always. Well, to our listeners, we want to say thank you for joining us. And uh, we hope that you'll join us again next month when we put together another podcast, when we talk to someone about their their life and their ministry in this uh, podcast that we're calling Labors in the Harvest. So our prayer that God will bless you today. And again, uh, please share with others. uh, If you enjoy this podcast, share that information so others can join us as well. We hope that you have a great day and may God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest. <laughs>